Welcome to this week's Monday meeting. Today is July 8th, 2019. Monday meetings are a chance for motion designers all over the world to connect and ask questions, share inspiration, or hear presentations and interact with industry-leading artists on an equal playing field. Today's topic is uh, we have hit the one-year mark, and we're going to talk about a little bit about what we've done in the past year, but where we're going from here, and just plans for the future of the calls and everything in general. Uh, if you have any questions, please try and keep them on topic. If they're spammy or get off topic, they'll be muted. If you do have a question, make sure you use the raise your hand function to be called on or just type question in the chat and we will filter those. And that's essentially raising your hand just in the chat if you don't have a mic or camera. As usual, these are recorded. So if you have any concerns about something that's said on the call, just let us know and we will make sure to omit it from the final release. Uh, real quickly, just touching on Kent Mograph. Uh, we announced workshop hosts last week, but just to reiterate, it's Phil Roberts, Billy Chicken, David Aryev, Chelsea Aryev, David Brodor, Nick Reed, and Penny Nederlander. Did I say it right that time? I think I butchered it last time, didn't I, Penny? Is it Nederlander or Nederlander? Uh-oh, Penny, are you muted? Nederlander. You nailed Nederlander. it. You crushed it. Okay. Yeah, last week I definitely butchered that. Butchered. Um, also, Penny, you're going to be on the MoGraph podcast today, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Listen for, uh, for my ramblings there. Um, and then also sponsors really quick. Big thanks to Maxon, Otoy, School of Motion, Red Giant, Pixel Plow, Insidium, and AE Scripts. The list is getting longer each week, which is awesome. Um, I think that's basically it for the intro. Mark, did you have anything you want to cover before we kind of open it up for general discussion and yeah, you nailed it, the, dude. the year talk? You cool. It. Um, so as I said, the topic is we've been doing this for a year now and um, kind of want to talk about what we've done and accomplished um, but also what we're, we're planning for the future as well and just like some changes we're going to make and um, really want to hear from participants that have been doing this with us for a year. Before I get into it, I just want to say thanks to everyone as well. Like it, this kind of just started on a whim and um, it has definitely grown and evolved into bigger things. So thanks to everyone that's been a part of it from the beginning and joined us in and out and even just people that are listeners and write to us and suggest things. Um, big thanks to you guys. But over the past year, we, we kind of started as just like a general discussion for motion designers in the industry to come together. And then it started evolving into like having guests and presentations, which has been really awesome. And then we also have had a lot of topic suggestions each week. And that's been really great to kind of push our conversations in a certain direction each week. Um, but at the same time, we've made some changes of like moving to 11 right now as, or at least 11 on the East Coast. And we've noticed that that hasn't really worked <laughs> the way that we thought it was. Um, so one of the first announcements is that we're going to roll back to 10 a.m. Um, and Mark and I just had a call about this before, but we both kind of agree that we procrastinate on Mondays pretty much until the calls get started. Um, we're just kind of waiting around for them to get started. And one of the best things about the Monday meeting when we first started getting into it, it was like kind of like a little bit of a caffeine boost uh, for the week and just like 
all right, we can talk about everything that we have on our plate from last week and going into this week and just like really get excited for the week. And it was a great kind of way to start your day in the week. Um, so Mark, did you want to talk, talk about that at all too? Yeah. I mean, just to kind of re reiterate some of the things you said, um, that, um, first and foremost, thanks for everybody to everybody for showing up each week and being part of this community that has grown and really stayed, um, I don't know, pretty, uh, involved, I guess would be the best word. So thank you all for coming each week and, and participating. Um, but yeah, going back to the 10 AM thing, um, I think we tried to accommodate some people on the West coast, which moving it to 11 helped a little bit, but that's still quite early for people on the West coast. And for us over here on the East, 11 a.m. is kind of like that weird, awkward time because like it's hard to get into client work and dive straight in and then kind of, you know, pull the ripcord to get into the meeting. Uh, so I think doing a 10 a.m. start is going to just work better for us as hosts. And um, for some reason, we've had more more guests or excuse me, more people join those earlier meetings than when we pushed it. So hoping uh, moving it back will get more people involved. And, um, and also going back to the general discussion thing, you know, Liam and I talked a little bit more about this earlier this morning. And it seems like nowadays there's so many like podcasts and motion graphic resource things and everyone talks about certain topics and I think one way for us to, you know, do our own thing and keep it kind of bring it back to the original idea of Monday meetings is just to have that general discussion. And if topics are, you know, come up through those discussions, that's kind of the best way to really find the topic for the day. Um, and I think it gets people a little bit more involved um, in the discussion. So since it, is happening kind of organically. So um, I think moving back to that is gonna create for some better discussions, some better participation and uh, allows us to kind of keep our little niche of what we're doing rather than setting a topic. And I don't know, sometimes it seems a little too much of a burden to have like a specific topic and maybe the discussion doesn't necessarily um, warrant like a whole episode or a whole meeting dedicated to that. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're excited to kind of get back to the roots of, of the Monday meeting. So, yeah. Um, and like, I can kind of speak to that personally last week with the call and what kind of spurred Mark and I talking about it is just like, I really love people writing in suggestions for topics. And I, I think it, it's still really important that people suggest topics but last week I was like so pumped up to talk about um, just like residual income and, and other ways you can make income. But then it kind of just got to me being on the spot a little bit. And then I kind of ran out of steam <laughs> with it. And so I'm hoping that if we have a little bit more generalized topics that um, like last week, I, I ended up cutting the call after about like 50 minutes because there just wasn't really much to talk about on the topic that it will just keep going. Because I remember some of our earliest calls 
we hit like an hour and a half mark multiple times just because people really wanted to keep talking about something that came up naturally. So um, that's part of what we want to return to as well. Um, let's see, I'm looking through the notes and yeah, so we talk about participation. Um, Mark and I are talking about doing a like rotating host schedule a little bit. So it's mostly been Mark and I, and then when we first started this, we talked about having participants in the calls do presentations, which we would love to have that too. Like if you've worked on something and you want to show it off, we still want to have that happen. Um, but we also are thinking about rotating who is actually hosting besides just me and Mark. I've been in loose talks with Penny about it a little bit too. And just that way we can kind of help spread the perspective on topics. Um, so no, it's not just Mark's perspective and coming up with questions and guiding the conversations. It's not just my perspective, but we can have multiple people kind of having their own perspective and leading the conversations in wider directions than just the two of us can. Um, so I, if Mark's down with it, I want to also throw it out to people too. If you are comfortable on these calls and think that you might want to be a rotating host occasionally, um, then I would love to have a conversation with you about it. And that way we can have as many different perspectives and, and leaders for these calls as possible. Totally. Yeah. And I want to echo that too. If anyone feels like they would want to come on and be like a co-host or take a whole show on themselves or whatnot, let us know and uh, we can arrange that. But I think just trying to get a, uh, wider range of people involved in, you know, um, opinions and interests and all that, I think will help uh, diversify some of the topics and some of the things we're talking about, but also give just a better perspective on things where, you know, maybe Liam and I aren't the best to talk about that certain thing or, or whatever. So um, definitely hit us up if you would want to do that. So. Yeah, especially with like how wide the industry is. It's like Mark and I were talking about this a little bit before on another call, just like we are kind of in our own little niches about what we want to do. Like Mark is thinking about doing like more outdoor product specialization and I've gotten really into like more organic design type work. And so that like that we're mostly focusing on that and that's our perspective. But, you know, we've got 2D animators and uh, traditional cell animators or like you know, hybrid 2D, 3D animators and projection map people and, and people from all of the industry that what we're thinking of in our heads to lead a conversation, somebody else would probably take in a completely different direction. And that's what's great about this call. And, and mm -hmm. I want to, I definitely want to embrace that more. So um, I think that's, that's kind of it for what I had for just like initial discussion and notes for like one year. Um, so since we've been talking about open discussions pretty much the rest of the call is an open discussion like whatever you guys want to talk about whatever there's something on your mind that you've been wanting to, to give us feedback over the past year about a direction that we should take the calls in or if there's just like a client being shitty to you right now let's let's talk about it so um, or even if you guys have Elizabeth, any suggestions yeah yeah like anyone that's got a mic or um camera or whatever even in the chat let us know, but um, I'm gonna just go ahead because I see you guys have cameras and I'm just gonna go down the list. So Dan, anything on your mind today <laughs> that you, you wanna chat about? Uh, I mean, I guess a, a quick rant. Um, 
the whole hold system and whatnot is uh, coming coming back to bite me. So uh, one of my biggest clients and agency here um, reaches out to me all the time. It's like, hey, uh, are you free for the next month or two? We'd love to like have you come on site. And then I get there and I'm approved for three days and then two days. And then I was supposed to be approved all this week. And I'm still waiting to hear back. I was like texting the producer at like midnight last night. I'm like, hey, so am I coming in tomorrow? Um, so that kind of sucks. <laughs> but no, I, I don't really have a whole lot to talk about personally, kind of here to listen today. Yeah, no, that's cool. I like, so like that kind of reiterates why I want to have more people host because I just am not familiar with the hold system and dealing with that. Like I've, I've kind of dealt with it a little, but um, yeah, I, I would love to hear anyone's perspective on that. Penny, you deal with the hold system, don't you? Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think that the hold system has been a little bit changed and perverted over the years because like my mostly freelance in Los Angeles between 2002 and 2012 and it really made sense. And uh, then towards the end of that time, like companies, I, I think it was like new producers came in that didn't really get it. that didn't really understand it. And maybe there was freelancers that came in that like learned from those producers. And so you got this like culture of um, uh, holding off on booking until the very last minute and, and like really abusing the time um, of the freelancer as if it isn't like really like your life's work, you know, like your job. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a defender of the hold system just because uh, especially lately doing remote work, um, if I didn't force these companies to give me a hold, they they just want to be like, you know, loosey goosey. Hey, um, do you want to, uh, we want to hire you maybe, I don't know, like we can't put you on hold or book you, but you know, like maybe next week we'll have something for you. And I'd be like, look, if someone else comes, I need to know that I can tell you, like, do I ignore this as a hold or do I have to come back and let you know that another job came my way? Does that make sense? Like, I like the formality. I need a structure because I don't want to just it to be like a, it, it sounds like, Dan, like you're, this producer you're dealing with doesn't know what they're doing, kind of, you know, yeah, like isn't really I mean, valuing your time. Uh, no, and I typically uh, like the hold system, especially here in New York. But I mean, Victor knows this person. Um, they're, they <laughs> like are so, so loose. And I've worked with them for years and they're one of my biggest sources of income. So I kind of know to expect it. Um, so yeah, but usually, usually it's pretty easy to spot when a hold abuser, when you're dealing with someone who abuses holds. Um, like there's a, another studio here that would do the, a similar thing, like put me on hold for the whole month and then I'd never hear from them again. And I just kind of stopped responding to them completely. Um, or, or, or I'll just say, yeah, sure. And, and I just never hear from them. But, uh, and I don't bother checking with them when something else comes in. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, 
especially in a large city, it's definitely the hold system is is pretty necessary to a degree. Um, and I kind of get it, especially with uh, agencies, their their timelines are so wishy washy with their clients, like they could think it's coming in like this week, but then it doesn't really come in until like two more weeks. So it's, it's a lot of times it's not really the agency's fault. But in this case, it's, it's the resource manager who's, who's just totally incompetent. <laughs> yeah, that like, I, I've had one bad experience with the whole system and producers. And that, I think that kind of tainted it for me. Like you were saying, Penny, like I generally don't have to deal with the whole system cause I'm in a location that I work remote, but the couple times that I have, it's just the first time it ever happened was with a producer that didn't really get back to me. And then I messaged them on Friday for the following Monday and then Sunday evening, the day before they finally get back to me. And it's like, are, are you coming in tomorrow? I was like, well, I already asked if I was supposed to come in tomorrow. You, you should be answering my question. And it's just like a lot of back and forth and kind of a pain in the ass. But I, like Penny, I, I agree. Like the structure of it makes sense. It's like, it's there to keep structure for the freelancer and there to keep structure for the studio. Um, just somewhere along the line, it's kind of become tainted by, I guess, bad producers and HR. I feel like when you see certain projects and you're like, wow, look at all these artists that work on it or like this project looks so good. But then like, if you think about it and you dive deeper, you're like, Oh, I bet that producer was on it. <laughs> and like actually like nailed it and they probably don't get the credit they deserve, you know? Yeah. And I'm going to just throw this out there. If you guys know any good producers that you've worked with, I would love to have a producer come on here and like talk about it like what they do to make it good and work for their freelancers um and what they notice about other producers possibly or like how the industry should change to help make the old system better yeah wasn't there talk or like someone i think it was ryan summers or someone had was trying to get people involved uh to like either stand up to the hold system or like ask for a deposit or there was like some sort of like Twitter convo that happened at some point. But yeah, it's like, it's easy to abuse, but it's also necessary. Right. So, um, Do you guys ever put like a kill fee or like a hold, like a hold cancellation fee? Because I've had this happen to me a couple of times too. And it's like, it's just incredibly frustrating to like plan out that you're going to make this much money this week. And then the hold goes and it's like, Oh, then I have to work double the next week because you know, it's like, I, I don't know if there's any way to write a con write that into a contract that like, you're going to pay me this week because you put the hold on this week. You know what I mean? Like don't put me a hold if you're not going to use me, you know, I don't know. I I've done it with projects. I've never done it with like just like a weekly hold um, or like a daily hold, but I, I'm pretty certain and I'd have to check and dig into it that one of the motion hatch contract bundles has a kill fee section in there. Um, and it's supposed to be for like going into an office, um, but I definitely heard about it. So yeah, all of this saying in the chat, definitely do kill fees. 50% kill fees are pretty standard in New York, at least from, their experience. Um, Noah, 
kill fees is supposed to be if they kill a booking. So I guess they seem pretty standard. I, I wouldn't have, wouldn't know. Noah, do you have a mic today? Are you coming from your perspective of like a, a business owner studio? Do you deal with that at all? Hang on. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Sorry, I was I was working, so I didn't want my like eye line to be staring off in this space. <laughs> but um, oh, I was just pointing. I mean, it's it's really just what Penny was saying. Like in, in Canada and Montreal, where we are, there's not like as much of a concretized hold system the way there is in like I guess New York or Los Angeles or whatever. So. I don't have a huge ton of experience, but I was I was just pointing out that like the way it's supposed to work, which maybe is not the way it works, is that uh, the kill fee is for a booking, but a hold is not a booking. So it's like if you have a hold, you can still look for other for other work if the other one falls through. But I, I get why it's difficult and a and a pain in the butt. And to be honest, the way I work with the freelancers I work with is maybe annoying to some people but it's more just keeping each other in a loop and mutual respect like i'll just be like okay hey i, I really we're gonna try and start but i need this script approved by the client before we can start so i'm gonna like hit you up for this date but if you have something else that's for sure that comes up before then just let me know and i'll if i can't pull the trigger 100 percent, i'll try and find someone else so it's really just uh i guess it's kind of like the whole system but it's just not as you know like second hold or this and that it's just working together to try and uh try and make sure no one loses out really at the end of the day yeah and penny i like how you're describing it in the chat if you want to vocalize that yeah sure um yeah so the way that i see the hold system is um it's kind of like a, just an agreement and uh, forget forgive the, the gendering of this. It's a, it's a gentleman's agreement, you know, whatever. It's a, um, uh, it's me talking to a company and being like, look, you need someone. I want to kind of like schedule out beyond my, my bookings, uh, what the future could look like. I'm giving you dibs on this job. You need someone. Um, I'm going to just let you know if anything comes up. And I think that um, if, if, if I ever treat a hold as if it's gonna happen, then I'm probably doing it wrong. Um, I need to like, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the line for the ride, not the ride, not buying the ticket. The line to buy the ticket, I guess is, my, is the way that I would maybe uh, put it. And so um, I, I, I think that there are not just ways that it can be abused though by producers. And I know we haven't mentioned this yet, but um, there's that whole idea of like, some people say first hold is always me. Um, and I think that that's like, that's cool. Like I'll do the like first hold is me if I have like a personal project or if I'm not 100% sure on a job or you know what, sometimes uh, um, a second hold is just a second hold after another client. Um, and so I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, only give second holds. And, you know, I mean, I think that that's like if you have a lot going on and you really don't want to be nailed down, okay. Um, but I think that there is a lot of mistrust on the part of producers that a second hold doesn't even mean anything. And um, looking at it from the producer's perspective, um, they kind of just want to make sure that if the job comes through that they have some people lined up that they could put on it or some people lined up that they could tell their client that they're going to put on it and like, look how cool their work is. So, um, 
that agreement, it's, it's, it's kind of important both directions. Uh, you know, we need to like, you know, if, if there's a job that I'm excited about and I really want, I will give a first hold and I will say like, look, you know, I'm going to try to count on this and I'm probably not going to look for a lot of other work. But until I have a booking, um, I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep trying to line up jobs. And uh, it's really important that a producer also isn't offended if you come to them with another job. Um, and say like, hey, you know, like I've got this second or third hold or this, you know, this other client that wants to book me. Um, will you either book or release? And, uh, and I think that that's like that whole process of getting a hold, pre-booking a job, uh, challenging a booking, it's all in good faith and it's all business and like all parties need it. And I think that there are producers and there are freelancers who, you know, in the past, maybe the freelancers are just green. They just don't really understand the system yet, or maybe they want to get their foot in the door and they'll bend over backwards. And that kind of thing isn't always great for everybody. But if we kind of stick to the, the general rules of, of being polite to each other and, uh, and in good faith, I, I think we can weed out the companies and the freelancers that are not in good faith. I mean, but then sometimes, like Dan says, you have a client that you know, kind of abuses it, but it's your like moneymaker. So, you know, that's a choice that Dan is making to keep that client. And I think that that's you know, that's also cool. So since I don't usually deal with the whole system, can you, can you explain like proper etiquette for asking for the booking? Like at what point should you challenge the hold for like an actual booking? Like even if you don't have a second hold, like just for like, all right, I, I need to know if you're actually going to book this thing. I, well, I mean, so I'm sure that there are variations depending on the market and, you know, the time period that you learned about how to do this stuff or whatever, you know, um, but um, for me, let's say I have no jobs on the horizon. A company comes to me and they're like, hey, we have a job. We would like to put you on hold for two weeks from now for a month. And, uh, and I'll be like, okay, that sounds great. I have nothing else going on. Or I might be, I might want to take a trip or I might have another thing that I want to do as a favor job or a personal project. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a second hold on that. Great. So now I have either a first or a second hold with this company. Um, then uh, uh, another company comes along and is like, hey, you know, we want to have a hold on your time for an overlapping period of time. And you can be like, okay, letting you know I have another company with a hold. You give them the second or the third hold. Um, that first company will come to you and, uh, you know, like maybe they'll say, all right, we're ready to book. Maybe they won't and you're getting a little nervous because you're getting close to that time. At that point in time when I'm getting closer and like maybe another, my third hold is getting a little anxious, um, I might just check in with that first company and be like, hey, so um, I've got other interest in, my, in, in, in me for this time period. Um, I want to see if you're able to book or not. Um, it hasn't, it's not a challenge yet, but I'm just checking. I like to really be communicative and check in. I'm probably super annoying. Uh, but I mean, again, this is my mortgage. This is, you know, like, you know, dog food for that little critter. Um, uh, if another company comes along and they, they want to book me and they have the third hold, I will go, that sounds great. Hold off. I'm going to contact my first company. I will contact them and that's when I can give them the ultimatum and like, look, here's the thing. Here's a job. This is an actual booking. Are you willing to say that you have the job and you need me and you want to book me? If so, I will accept your booking right now and I will tell the other company that I am not available to work. Otherwise, they release me. I book that other job. Um, in the situation where I just have one hold, 
and that's it for a given amount of time, I might be a little more lenient and maybe that's not the best thing for the system, but I will still try to check in. I will still like hit up, especially if it's like the next day. I mean, if I don't have another job or another thing that's really pressing, then um, I, you know, I tend to be like, all right, well, what else am I going to do? Am I going to sit at home? That's fine. But um, for the most part, yeah, I just try to stay open, super communicative. Is that, does that answer your question, Liam? Yeah. And you even like helped me kind of like visualize it a little bit more in my mind too. So that, that's definitely helping. Cause for me, like I, I, maybe I just like knowing things ahead of time more than the industry allows, but my experience, it seems like producers wait until the last minute. And so I would like to know, like if I'm booked for the, the next Monday coming up, I would like to know about like the Wednesday before or like not booked, but on a hold. So if I'm on, on a hold, I would like to know by like the Wednesday before if I'm booked or not so I can start planning my next week because I'm, I'm, tr I'm usually about a half a week out or a week out trying to plan my stuff just because of having kids and family and like making those arrangements that if they're waiting till Friday or even just like Saturday or Sunday to let me know that, yeah, it's definitely a booking, then I start to get antsy because then I have to work with my wife to figure out the schedule for our kids and like who's going to pick up somebody this day and who's going to go to the doctor's appointment that day and whatever. So um, I'm just trying to get a sense. Like if I'm asking the Monday before, is that annoying? But it sounds like really over communication is the key and it's not really annoying. It's just, you're trying to solidify things and get schedules in order. Uh, let's see. I, what you're saying. I, oh, go ahead, Mark. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, well, if you want to, Chime in with what Noah said there in the chat. Go for it. I'll, I'll follow it up. Oh, yeah. So just Noah was saying in the chat really quickly that uh, they wait for the last second because they don't want to have to pay kill fees. Uh, that's the negative flip side of kill fees. But we were just saying that kill fees are only on a booking. So um, I guess a book, like you could have a job cancel over the weekend. So I guess that could happen. I, I just feel like if you were a week out, the agency probably knows whether or not they're going to book you, but maybe not. I, maybe I'm just not inside that hold world enough to, to know. But what were you going to say? Or, go ahead. Whoever wants to chime in, I say Mark and Dan. <laughs> well, I was going to kind of throw it back to Dan too, because like, it seems like a lot of this discussion is, well, if they don't let me know, a, you know, a few days out or whatnot, but similar to like what Dan was saying earlier, I believe, uh, that they want to book you or like hold you for like the whole month or like for a long duration. And then like, how do you navigate a hold that would be that long, you know, because, all right, we're going to use you three days this week. We're going to use you two days next week, but okay. You're quote unquote booked, but you're not working fully. You're not fully booked really, you know, like, and I guess, curious to see how you navigate it, Dan, and how um, others deal with that as well. So, I mean, the way that this particular project came about, it is a huge project with multiple stages. So they were kind of, I feel like they were getting a feeler to see like, hey, if this blew up to the full size that we think it might, are you available for the whole time? I was like, yes, I am. I don't, you know, it's been a quiet month or like, I don't have, I usually don't book up weeks in advance. I usually get booked like days in advance. 
um, sometimes like the day before. That's just really kind of the New York schedule, um, especially in agencies. Uh, I don't, I can't really talk so much about how studios do it, um, but in agencies, it's just everything can be so last minute and clients are so much more demanding with agencies than they are studios. So because they're paying big, big bucks. So it's like they have like a $10 million contract for them for like six months and, you know, they want to feel special. It's like, nope, we need this 3D render like tomorrow. So it's, it's kind of the nature of the beast here. And I try to be as flexible as possible. And I think the way Penny put it, it's a dibs system is the perfect way to go about it. Like thinking about it, it's like, all right, well, they called dibs first. If something else comes along, it's just over communicating like, hey, uh, so where do we stand here with this? I have some other inquiries um, and I haven't been getting a ton of inquiries or it's a lot of like I have a nonprofit program or a nonprofit animation that's kind of on a back burner right now. And I had like a couple other like animation bids. So I'm saying yes to all of those because honestly, those are all big maybes. And I'm also saying yes to being available for a month or two on site because I knowing this company, it could be a couple weeks or they might book me for like three months. Um, so it's, it's, it's all just being really flexible. And I mean, I'm fortunate enough that like, I don't even have a dog, let alone a kid or a wife or even a girlfriend. So like I have ultimate flexibility, um, which I know a lot of you don't really have that. So it's, that's the way I make it work. Um, but uh, it, it definitely can be frustrating, especially if, uh, but what, if they were to come to me and say, hey, are you available for this month or two? And there's a project that I really, really, really want to work on that comes along, like it's just over communicating. It's like, hey, look, are you going to book me or not? Like, because I really want to work on this nonprofit video. Like, so you either need to do it or not. And they, they're pretty understanding about that. So it's, it's really, it's just being professional and, communicating as much as possible throughout the process. And it's, that can definitely be a little trickier to navigate with new clients. Um, it's much easier if it's somebody that you've worked with for years. So I don't know, it's, but again, that's the New York uh, agency life. I got a, just a random question uh, for those of you that do a lot of the day rate, hold system, et cetera, work through studios and agencies that do you find that producers, project managers, whoever that, you know, is your main contact, have these people been artists before and have moved into a, a producer role or something? Because my analogy here is like if you were to work in a restaurant and you start as a busser and you work your way up to whatever head server whatnot you know that whole chain of command you you know that the busser depends on the server and you know whatever um and vice versa where i feel like if you're an artist that's kind of graduated up and like maybe that's why studios like already been chewed and ranger and fox and like those guys seem to be pretty dialed because it seems like 
that whole chain of command has grown up from like being an artist and now like a studio owner or whatnot. So they kind of understand that whole process. I would just be curious to know if like the people you guys deal with at some of these studios have that knowledge and kind of respect for the artist in a way, you know, and I feel like the people that abuse the whole system probably don't have that experience and don't know what an inconvenience it could be for that artist or I don't know. Um, looks like Noah just said hand raise. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find the button. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, in my experience, especially being in a smaller market, you never get that in producers and coordinators. Like, they're, it's, it's super hard for them to understand everything that's involved, especially on, like, the motion and, and 3D side. Um, and, and it even depends on the pipeline. Like, I have a friend now who's a, who's a coordinator for, like, bigger animation, and they were an animator, but not on that sort of degree of pipeline. So, uh yeah, it's, it's tough to have that kind of understanding in a producer. And I know for, for us, like, we always had to take people from another kind of related thing and, and get them get them up to speed and in motion. So, uh, but the flip side, I mean, I think just good communication and treating everyone with, with respect is something that, uh, like, you don't need to understand all the technical ins and outs, uh, but... Uh, the bottom line is I think it's a lot of times the coordinator and junior producer is an entry-level job that they burn people out fast. Like I'm seeing less and less people who are long-term and really invested in that, in that role. And it tends to be something that like, you know, they, they put you in when you're starting and like, like 20 years old and people burn out by the time they're, they're 30 and there's not a ton of people who really like, take that through to have the experience that I think gets a little more respect and just knowing the ropes and things like that. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for that perspective on it. I mean, yeah, like I'm sure uh, all have said that from my experience, it's a 70, 30 split of only producer versus producer with artist background and, I don't know, maybe that's pretty common, but I don't imagine a good producer has been an artist or similar to what Noah was saying, like just has the wherewithal of like, all right, to, I can't burn these people out if I want good work. And, you know, just being like a, dare I say, nice human. <laughs> I mean, it runs a gamut, I'm sure. But um trying to see here um maybe switching gears a little bit unless anyone has something else to say on the hold system um tokyo kind of added something in the chat um i don't know if you have the ability to talk today Chris, but um, if you do, feel free to chime in. Um, oh, he says I can't talk at work. Yeah. So he was just posing the question, um, asking if anyone's worked on personal projects or has personal goals or anything going on right now since it's been a little bit since we've talked about that. Um, so 
one person I know who has a personal project kind of going on is Liam. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Just starting out. Yeah. I, I mean, hopefully I stick with it and uh, I got to figure out the exact rules of this project or guidelines. Um, but I was away for like pretty much six weeks of, of time at my own machine working on stuff. So there's someone that I follow on Instagram that was doing a hundred days of Houdini and just watching how far they came working with it. I was like, man, I kind of want to do that. I kind of want to just take, take what they've done and uh, do my own thing with it. So I'm trying to do a hundred days of Houdini um, after this weekend. And I've done dailies in the past and we can talk about dailies too. That's like a whole nother topic, but um I realized again, like how challenging it is to work on the weekend, especially if you have family or kids or other obligations, or even just like if you're on an intramural sports team and you're playing on the weekends too, like I'm sure that eats into it. Um, that I try, I did a post on Saturday and then yesterday I was just like, Oh, this, like this sucks. I just want to hang out with my family. I don't really want to think about a personal project at the moment. And I, I almost feel like it's kind of nice to set a boundary like that just to give yourself a break on the weekends and not have to think about this personal thing. So um, I'm setting the goal of to do 100 days of Houdini, but with the the liberty to not do it on weekends um, just so I can have that break and, and not be so stressed out because it, it gets so stressful trying to, to find time to step away when the kids aren't going to come in and interrupt you and you don't have to go run errands and do all this stuff that it seems at least in my current situation that weekends are impossible. So it's going to be, I guess, five days for the next however many weeks as long as I make it through it, hopefully. Um, but yeah, as far as like actual personal projects, I don't have anything big going on right now. Um, I really like randomly calling on people and going through the list. So Elizabeth, you're the next one on my list. Are you working on anything personal at the moment or like anything that's guiding your next reel or career? Hey, um, I, I'm sort of on the fence with taking on something and I, I might need some ideas um, because I, there's, a lot, there's a lot of minutes in it. So some music videos it's like a series of music, like almost enough to fill a whole album. So there's no way I'm doing bespoke work on every single frame or whatnot. But I was thinking there might be a way to, um, there might be able to be a way to do it programmatically in order to handle just um, getting some good ideas, sort of almost treating it like a concert visual. So just making sure things are fairly generative and attractive and responsive to the to the audio um, and somewhat on point but something that scales up to maybe 17 or 30 minutes of music without having to um, you know bespoke do every frame sort of thing so I don't know if anybody's taken on projects like that but um, that's sort of something that's knocked on my door and and um, you know, that would sink my whole year if I took it on bespoke, right? <laughs> so. so this is like a, a personal slash pro bono project that you'd yeah. be working with somebody? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So one of the ideas I had for it would be, um, 
moving, um, making, getting some, of course, stock footage is our friend, right? But taking stock footage and finding out a way to treat the stock footage um, in a repetitive way that was interesting. For example, um, if I could get people to do things like pointing or waving or interacting with the screen in some way, I could make sure that there was always a resulting uh, motion graphics type of gesture that would come out of that. And uh, the whole point is the um, interaction between uh, humans and technology. And so the human, the stock footage would play the part of humans and the graphics would play the part of technology. And so the, the images would be very digital and glitchy and, and um, you know, ones and zeros and heads up display and that sort of thing. So, um, but it's big, right? It's a lot of, lot of minutes. So um, anyway, I'm just looking for ideas where those two things interact. On the uh, MoGraph Slack, there's a new channel uh, that I think Tokyo put together, but it's called Coding. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of kind of, uh, well, not a lot of discussion in there, but some, some discussion about, you know, what's the word? Um, I mean, I guess generative art in a way where you're using code to really create visuals or whatnot. Um, trying to see if there's any links. The Slack is so fast that it removes <laughs> previous discussions, but um, you might want to join that just to get involved in the discussions happening there and, and whatnot if you're looking for that type of process. Awesome, um, yeah, it's worth checking out. Yeah. I recently brushed up on my Python, so outside of MoGraph, right? It was a completely random other project. So uh, anyway, hopefully we can cross the streams eventually. Nice. I mean, not to go down a Houdini train, but <laughs> data-driven stuff is really good in Houdini. So if you're like, if you're trying to like automate stuff and, and visuals that, that may be worth it. I'd say like any node system. So like Fusion's pretty good at it too, just reading data. Um, I know it's learning something new, but um, like doing parsed information like that, it, like even Notch, I know a lot of people have been talking about Notch lately, like the real-time software that's all node-based and that can parse data really well too. And I know After Effects is getting there, but um, just I'd say keep your options open, especially like, um, like the three that I just mentioned, Notch, Fusion, and Houdini are all have really great Python integration. So if you're going down that path anyway, it could definitely help. Yes, Grant is saying, Lamb, the Houdini pusher, that is me. <laughs> um, while we're on personal topics too, and not to deviate too much, Ricardo was saying in the chat that he just published a personal project and shared the link. So I'll make sure to have that in the notes. But um, also I wanna say just like quickly, I actually know uh, if I'm saying it right, Boda Motion, because I've seen you either on Vimeo or whatever, it's it's really cool just to like see like, oh, this is Boda Motion and this is the person behind that. Uh, so nice to put your face or like have a conversation with you, Ricardo, because I've definitely seen your, your work around. Um, but it's definitely like a little bit of a matrix tribute is what it looks like and pretty cool. There's style frames and sketches and um, the whole deal broken out, which is nice to see. 
Um, oh, Simon just walked away. I was going to call on Simon next. Victor, are you still around? I was going to ask if you, are you working yeah. on anything personal lately? No, I've got so much client work that I'm just trying to like see the end of the tunnel most days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I've had some weird cancellations, hold bookings. So like, I'm just trying to like get all of my clients in order and telling me what they need when they need it. That's like been my personal challenge. <laughs> so that's kind of it for me right now. Yeah. I feel, yeah. It's something about the summertime too, about just like kind of disconnecting from work a lot and like losing your schedule a little bit. And especially if you have clients not keeping their holds together. Yeah. Um, so Dan, you're saying, you know, Damon has some rants from a recent project. <laughs> let's go, Damon. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, I mean, as, as usual, I mean, I'm, I'm highly grateful for any work you guys can pass along to a guy like me. Cause I mean, I don't show that I do a lot of commercial work, but I, I actually have the experience doing layouts of stuff for like businesses and gas stations and whatnot. So I was very grateful for Dan to, to pass that torch off to me on the project, but, uh, it's my first agency I've actually worked for. And he, he warned me as best as possible. But yeah, it was like the first week because they demanded, they basically demanded a week rate from me, um, which I'd never done. I've done day rates, I've done hourly, but I've never done a week. And Dan also was gracious enough to tell me that it's a whole different element working with New York agencies as opposed to, I'm in Florida, so I can charge a little bit more, which is awesome. But then the whole first week, it was them not having their shit together. Sorry, but their collective stuff together. Um, and it took them almost a whole week just to get me what I needed to start working. And no, I didn't technically have anything else, but if anything else came in, I was technically on hold because this was a good gig. It was a good paying gig. And, you know, Dan says these guys pay, they're, you know, they're good for that. So it was definitely frustrating. And then I think a lot of us has dealt with this when we deal with a team of people, um, they're not all in the same room and they're making decisions. So literally every time I, I did revisions, by the time I was about to email them the revisions, I get an email going, oh, hey, so-and-so wants to change this as this. And I'm like, whoa, I just spent literally 15 hours doing these revisions for you. I mean, hey, you want to pay me overtime? I, cool, good for you. But it just, it definitely gets frustrating um, because I had to tell them, like, listen, I had to turn down other work while I was waiting for you guys to get me what I needed because, you know. So, it, yeah, it, it definitely it's frustrating but you know you live and you learn and hopefully this does kind of lead to more of this kind of work where i'm not doing the typical like you know tour visuals and daily type stuff <clears throat> which i definitely want to talk about the whole daily thing that you guys were mentioning when you guys get around to that yeah i mean we can deviate to that or kind of talk about this too i think it kind of goes back a little bit to like the over communication that Penny was saying and like establishing that kind of upfront, just like really over communicate and be like, are these all the notes? And usually if I get a bunch of notes, I will try and get on a call with the client too, especially like if they're more than like two or three notes, I'll try and hop on a call just because there, there may be a little nuances that they didn't put into the notes that they're assuming that you would take on. Um, but it's, it's definitely always best to have it set up that you have a direct form of communication and who that person's going to be. Um, 
and not to push the motion hatch contract again, but that is one of the lines in one of the contracts, I believe. Um, I kind of just automate it now for sending out contracts, but I believe one of the paragraphs is definitely like, this is who my main contact is. This is who I'm going to email. This is who I'm going to send invoices to. So if I get notes from someone, they need to come through this person. And if somebody else is on the project and they didn't give those notes to that person, then that kind of falls on the person that you're, you're dealing with. It's not, not your fault that you spent 15 hours on this and then all of a sudden there's more notes coming through like that person should have had their shit together and gotten all the notes in order ahead of time. Um, Especially if the notes, uh, the note says, actually we liked it the way it was, <laughs> right? You're like, wait, I just wasted a whole day <laughs> revising this. Now you don't want it. Well, it also came down to where, again, like it was due today to the client the project was and so and then I get an email going oh by the way we're closed for the fourth and the fifth and my main contact guy is like I'm gonna be on vacation all next week and I'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. you asked me for a week quote and I told you this was at least gonna take because originally it was two projects and then they only went with the one I'm like dude based on what you're asking because they needed two treatments they needed a high and a low budget and I'm like just based on that a week alone maybe we'll get you there but now you're expecting me to have this done in three days I'm like all right cool, I'll try. And for the most part, I did. I, I cranked. I, I literally worked like eight, 15 to 18 hours a day to get it done for them. Um, plus, I, with me, I, like I said, I work from home and my wife works full time. So like, I also have my kids during the day, which a lot of you guys know how that is. It, it gets crazy. And you know, I got a four month old girl and a two month old boy. Um, so yeah, when those last minute changes come through, it's crazy. And then they also last minute which it's funny because Dan's done a lot of work for these guys. And I told him like, so they want to do a fly through. And he's like, wait, what, why? It's like, that's totally unnecessary. And I'm like, again, if they want to pay me, and you know, I, I warned them. I mean, I kind of, I, I posted in the Slack. I kind of shot myself in the foot for the holiday thing. I should have told them time and a half or a double time for holiday. But regardless on top of like the, the weekend rate that I'm adding onto it, plus he's going to have to pay me time and a half for overtime. But I told him that I warned him. I'm like, Hey, you know, this is going to cost this much kind of extra. And he's like, do what you got to do. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. You know, I'll invoice you. But yeah, it was just, it was weird. They, they kind of had some weird expectations. And I'm like, I know it isn't like Dan led them to believe that this is how it's done because Dan went over with me how the projects work. He showed me, I were actually, I, he, they had me revise one of Dan's projects real quick that he was working on. And, you know, because they didn't have the project ready for me to go. And I'm like, hey, you're paying me. Why not? I'll, you know, I'll do it. But it was, it, it was definitely crazy because I was just like, I can't guarantee I'm going to have this done by the fourth, you know, it's, it's three days, but I, I trucked through and got it done. But yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, again, from what Dan was telling me, like sometimes it's like this, but this seemed like a really crazy job on this one. Like he hadn't really seen them, you know, kind of have a cluster, you know, what going on like this normally. The word is fuck. You, you can swear, Damon. It's okay. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Cause it's, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I didn't want to be that guy. No, it's okay. You, you can it's actually encourage. Yeah, just just let it fly, man. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> so. I see Victor's got his hand raised. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys a question about how you over-communicate your design direction because I've been running into some issues where it's like I give them a four or five page deck of mood board imagery and like sketches, you know, like this is how you're, this is what you gave me, this is what, you know, they wanted this kind of theme or something and this is, the mood board, swipe imagery, material board, you know, like this is the direction I'm going with. And then get a thumbs up and then you go down that direction and they're like, this isn't what we wanted at all. 
you know, like how, how do you backtrack or how do you over communicate your design direction beyond just a deck sometimes, I guess, is my question. I think the future just had an episode about this. So like try like the importance of um, communication and selling what you're working on. But Noah just said in their style frames are always good. So I think that's what you're talking about, Victor. Like in your deck, you have style frames. You're not doing like full boards. No, right. no. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my stuff is like kind of the environmental thing. So I pull style frames and mood imagery. Um, and then I'll also put in rough like white model renders of like what, you know, to give a sense of scale and space. Mm -hmm. um, but it's... Style frames are, are, are good. It's just for some of the things that I do, it's more about like the proportions and scale than anything. So, yeah. um, and I just, I've just been having a really hard time lately. Like it's either producers don't look at what you send and it's like, how do you get them to like see your vision, you know, beyond, and yeah, that's, that's just the problem that I've been having. And it hasn't been like this forever. It's just been a, a couple of weeks of this. It's been weird. Hmm. Um, yeah, Dan, you're saying you don't really do style frames and experiential. I think one, one thing that I really like to do, and I don't know if this would help in this situation, but um, if there's enough time is I will set up a private Pinterest folder or like collection and I'll have the clients log into that and like collect their own material. And then that way you can kind of argue back to them like, well, this is what you gave me. And then I kind of took that and like went in this direction. You signed off on it. Um, that seems to help because then it feels like they're involved in that, that collection process of finding inspiration. Um, but yeah, if you're already sending out like multiple iterations of styles, which it sounds like you're doing, then um, I don't know, especially like, are they, are they approving anything? Sorry, you're muted. Oh, uh, no, it, it's tricky. Yeah. It's like, um, they, they approve some direction. They're like, yeah, that's great. But at the same time, it's most of the time when I get a thumbs up, it's like, that was way too short of a yes. You know what I mean? There's no, and, and that always worries me when like, it's like, yes, nothing else, you know? And then it's like, okay. It makes me think that they don't listen. They don't read what you're what you're giving them for creative direction sometimes. So I know, it's just, it's just a problem that I'm trying to like put or maybe make, I need, I need to make my decks flashier. I need to write out more things, but like, I just didn't know if, if there were any tips or tricks beyond style frames. Oh, so my suggestion, because what, why, why I was saying style frames or mock-ups is I find sometimes they, they can't picture how all those pieces, like if you're pulling boards and ref, they can't always picture how all those pieces are going to come together. And sometimes that yes is just like, okay, yes, this is close enough that we'd like to see how this comes together. Mm. But then how it comes together is not how they imagined it. So, or they didn't imagine it, but then when they see it, it's just like, not this. Yeah. So that's, that's why I'm saying like, I, I, I've moved to as much as possible trying to actually give them like just one or two, like very concrete, Images, I don't know the budgets or timelines you have, which is why I said mock-up. Like if scale is important, if you could just like even put a like a, a cutout of a person, yeah. you know, like slap it in there so that they can really get a sense. And then, but I do agree with Liam's thing too. Like, you know, there's, there's always different kind of 
client psychologies and there's definitely like some clients where it's, the more you can make it feel like their idea the harder it is for them to backtrack on it so it's like kind of be like you know i don't know even even just like ask questions so it can't just be a yes be like you know like follow it up be like well what do you really like about this well okay if, is there like if i'm going to change one thing from the mood board to execution, what's the one thing in here that you're not crazy about that I could change, try and like pull out a little more participation out of them uh, to do it? I, I realize that a lot of that stuff is easier said than done when people are busy and it's emails, like sometimes they just won't engage, but as much as possible, try to would be my advice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like just having that call like Liam suggested is like always beneficial. I think I need to do that more. It's just send a deck, then schedule a call immediately after to talk about it rather than just waiting for a response. Yeah, that sounds like better. Yeah, and I know you're dealing with stills a lot, but my process is like similar to what Liam said, like I'll start a Pinterest board, we'll pull reference, I'll keep it private if needed. Uh, invite the team or stakeholders into it. They can even, if I pull some reference images, they can even go in and like it. And then you can see like which ones they've liked and, and whatnot. And you can start there. Then I go into like more of a, of a um, so that sets the mood. Then I go in with my vision of how I'm going to put it together, make a style frame, you know, and then in my animation world, then once the style frames are approved, I move to like wireframe animations, we get timing down and all that. And maybe that's the point where you start doing your scales and you know, all that. Uh, I know obviously it's gonna be a little bit different with a still image because essentially your style frame could possibly be that final image. But, um, but yeah, I think if you can, start really like hammering through like your process and following up and you're just like, this is how I do it. Um, I think it's going to be easier for you to also like kind of coach along your client and kind of guide them through your process to make it um, work as seamlessly good for you, but also for them to give them a good experience with the whole thing. And I, you know, some stuff happening in the chat right now is a lot of clients don't have an idea of what they want until they see it. So like, if you can get on a call after that, you know, mood board and really start picking apart the different ones they like, like, do you like the lighting in this one? Or do you like how it's got, I don't know, all these trees, you know, like whatever, you can start pulling more pieces out and more valuable information to guide your decisions later, you know? Um, but I think it all comes back down to just like communication. Just also just for like some clarity, is this like direct to client or is this like through an agency then you're having to deal with like a CD or? Uh, uh, through an agency, like okay. 90 of the time, yeah. Yeah, how, like not, not that really matters either way, but just because of like how fast paced agencies are that I think phone calls would probably kind of help alleviate some of the pain that you're having. Cause they, they are probably just like churning through their email and not thinking as yeah. coherently as they might on a phone call. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, no. So you're asking about briefs a little bit in the chat. Oh, well, I was, I was just, I guess for, uh, 
for Victor was just like also another trick. Like, I guess it's, it's still kind of that thing of get them to participate, but so if they feel like they have ownership is when I, when there's a brief also, like, instead of just being like, here's some imagery is to kind of like relate it back to the brief. So it, it's a less easy for them to like summarily dismiss it or they dismiss it. They feel like they have to provide a kind of logic, like be like, I don't know, you asked for like, uh, this to feel like uh, hot, like latest hot Instagram looks. Okay, so here's my, like what the top five influencers are, are posting. And this is what I abstracted in terms of like color palettes and blah, blah, blah. I, I, maybe that was a weird random example, but do you know what I mean? Of like taking the, taking the brief and just like giving a little bit of logic of how what you're presenting answers the brief. And then hopefully again, that just makes them so if they're going to be like, we don't like this. It kind of makes them feel obligated to have a little more logic or reason behind then a lot of times that at least puts you on the on the right track yeah yeah totally understand that yeah and i, I get briefs and it's it's I, I i hear your point though about relating your direction back to the brief and setting a foundation off the brief is basically right like you have to have a reasoning behind your designs and it that reasoning should be coming from the brief and in yeah. a way, it's almost like scope creep too. If like they give you a brief and now the direction is changing because like they're after some hot new trend, but like you can root it back to the brief every time, you know? Yeah. To me, I find sometimes I get the best course correction from those kind of things though. Like, and, and even if my style frames are good, what, I mean, I guess being a studio, it's a bit different, but I find what the times when I've totally missed what the client wanted. If those first style frames are strong, even if it's the wrong direction, it actually reassures them because they still see that like you can do the the execution. But sometimes that's the most val valuable course correction you can get. Yeah. They're like, well, we said, I don't know, we said we wanted psychedelic and you went like 60s psychedelic, but that's totally not what we had in mind. Actually, we meant more like, I don't know, like modern EDM psychedelic imagery, more like this, or like, I don't know, it's like giving them that very concrete thing and, and pushing for that interaction, that, that response can kind of get you the, the clarification that saves you way more headaches down the road when you put in more work, you know? Yeah, totally. yeah the, the other thing I was gonna ask too, and Mark kind of alluded at it a little bit is, um, with these briefs, is that pretty much all you get from them? So are you able to set the tone for how working with you will be like? So instead, like, are they expecting you to work from the brief and immediately give them style frames or immediately like show them a direction with some things that you've mocked up or can you set the tone? And as soon as you get the brief, say to them, all right, well, let's hop on Pinterest together and build something too. Cause I know with an agency, sometimes they have their own workflow in place that they want you to follow. But if they're coming to you as the expert, then there's no reason that you can't set the tone of how the pace should go for the project. Yeah, most of the time I'm actually able to set the tone and um, you know, it's my decision to go back with um, a design direction brief or design direction deck, you know? Um, and a lot of people, I don't know, Dan builds them out sometimes, but I've always found that just giving them 
uh, you know, pulling boards, pulling images from Pinterest um, helps out. But yeah, like I, once I get the brief, it's like, it's kind of in my world to take control of getting it to that final image, you know? And it's like, whether I want to have check-in processes along the way, it's kind of up to me because they don't know how I create my image or, you know what I mean? Like they don't know my process only I do. And it's up to me to create that process. Um, and I've only been doing it for like three or four months now. So I'm finding things out along the way. And this is one of the things that like, okay, I need to over communicate my design direction more than what I've been doing. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Pinterest boards, I love Pinterest so much. I have like 80 boards that a bunch of agencies use, you know, and you can add people. I, I love it. But at the same time, like it can get a little muddy sometimes. So like I always pull my stuff into like a deck that's just mine. Cause if mm -hmm. there's a graphic designers or, a, you know, an art director or somebody that's on it and they pin a whole bunch of things that are like not anything, you know what I mean? Like it can get a little muddy. So, um, you know, trying to control the process and keep it segmented and check-ins is more of what I think sounds like what Noah does and what I need to do more of. Yeah. One of the things I really like about a brief too is like almost like car salesmanship a little bit. It's just like, it gives you ammunition to bullshit your way into the direction you want to. So like if they come back to you and Noah touched on this a little bit and they're saying like, this isn't really what we're thinking. Like, well, actually using the verbiage from their brief, this is what I got from that and how can I change that or whatever. Um, so that's, that's another technique I like to do is just like a little bit, throw it back in their face, but also just pad my bullshit on <laughs> what I'm selling to them. Yeah. Just to touch on the Pinterest thing really quick too. A lot of times uh, in my stuff, I'll, I'll build that Pinterest board, but I'll also then rip, kind of the images out of it and make almost like a style or a stylescape type PDF. So it, it's now taken that Pinterest board, narrowed it into that Pinterest board, but then we extract the images that we talked about. So the focus remains on those. And then, you know, you're, you're kind of building those stepping stones from there. But um, I think that definitely helps uh, weed out, all the stuff that some random art director is pinning other stuff to you're like, okay, but this wasn't really the direction we talked about, you know? Um, and then it, if you can put all that into a uh, stylescape or a PDF, from my experience, delivering that to the client, now it seems like a little bit more legit in a way, rather than like, here's a link to the Pinterest board, you know? Um, but that's been my experience. And uh, I know Dan had his hand raised, so call on him. Yeah, I mean, uh, most of what I was gonna say was already kind of said, but uh, my approach, because Victor and I do the exact same kind of work and work together. So it's, uh, when it's a client that I know kind of has strong opinions and they like to control the creative, I straight up asked them to send me mood board images. I'm like, they'll have an idea. It's like, hey, we have this idea for this pop-up or this activation, and we wanna do this big thing. And I'm like, okay, cool. Can you send me like a sketch or like uh, an image of what you had in mind um, versus other ones where they're smaller teams and they don't really have a strong creative team, then I will pull them 
myself and send them just as a mood board. I mean, I use Pinterest personally, but I tend to just grab stuff and throw it in like a Google, uh, Google slides. And then they can just comment right on there. Like, yep, this one works. Nope. This one doesn't. And one thing you, you gotta get really good at learning how to ask the right questions. And that's comes from a experience and be like, uh, building a relationship with that client uh, to know how to communicate better and like what they like and what they don't like. So it's a combination of just straight up asking them, hey, if you have something specific in mind, send it. Otherwise, I'll take a stab at it. And a lot of these people, especially agencies, even though they're creatives, a lot of them, you know, they go to Miami ad school for two years, learn how to use Photoshop and Illustrator kind of and they're really they're idea people they're not really creatives so a lot of them don't have the ability to kind of pre-visualize what this looks like and that's what they're hiring us so like style frames isn't really a thing for what we do because i mean our end product is basically the style frame and then they hand it off to somebody to build it So it's really just a combination of just learning how to ask the right questions and like you're kind of being a detective for like picking the brain of what your client wants. Yeah, Noah mentioned in the chat too, if you're, if you pitch, you really get to use, you get used to selling your vision and really like figuring out how to communicate that the best way, you know, and I think that's, that's really a hard thing for us, you know, I, I, I'll say for myself at least, you know, really using the right words to describe what you want the emotion to be or the look to be, you know, without just using like cliche buzzwords, you know. Um, but I don't know if anyone has anything else with that, but um, Oh. One one fun thing, if I can jump in on that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you would kind of like do this in a non sort of official capacity, but one thing like that was, was super fun for me is I managed to get these weird kind of sideline uh, gigs because I, I write where I took on some jobs writing scripts and pitches for other directors. And it was, it was really super helpful to actually have to do it for someone else where you're not like emotionally caught up in the process to really be objective. And I found that that really was so helpful for me to be able to like be involved, but completely see it from the outside. So I don't know if you could like ever partner with a friend or how you could kind of do that, set up that kind of situation for yourself, but it's, it's super helpful if you can find a way to like get someone else involved, maybe like, like trade off with, with a friend kind of presenting it to them or having them kind of like you explain your idea, but then have them kind of help you write it out. So there's that outside perspective. Yeah. I've been recently doing some exercises too of like writing down what, you know, certain like beliefs or like positioning stuff like that. And like, I, I write it down and then I read it back to myself and I'm like, wait, okay. It's so much clearer. <laughs> like after actually going through the process and having to think about it and it, you, you like 
get out of your own head by putting it on a piece of paper and looking at it and actually like writing it down and then like get it, you know, for me, I was just like, wow, I almost answered my own question now that I wrote it down and thought about it a little bit more, you know, but, um, interesting stuff for sure. Um, well, we're, a quarter after we're at like an hour and 15 minutes or so now. Um, I think we should probably wrap up here soon. We have a few links and other like news things. I don't know if Liam, you want to walk through those? Uh, sure. They're just a couple things that uh, Chris Rutledge brought up Tokyo Megaplex. Um, just asking if anyone's going to events this year. So the first one Chris brought up was Animation Block, which is in New York, and it's going to be an animation festival. And let me just re-up the website so I can get more information of it. It looks like it's in Brooklyn, and it will be September 20th through 22nd. And then there's also the Ottawa Animation Festival, which I think, Noah, you said that you are planning on going to as well, because we were talking about it in the chat the other day, and that is September 25th through the 29th. I'll share that link here. Um, what's the other link that I have? Oh, the other link is a link that was shared in the chat that I just want to keep for later. So those are really the only two links I have at the moment. And those um, look almost like back to back. Yeah, they, they, they pretty much are back to back. Nice. So um, I really want to go to the Ottawa one because I wish Chris was still or was able to talk about it, but it sounds like it's really awesome. Have you been before, Noah? I, I don't really know anything about it except for what Chris has said, that it's just an awesome movie. Yeah, I've, I've been there before. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of like very eccentric and kind of like, uh, yeah, a little madcap and like kind of ramshackle in a fun way, but like just as a random thing, like, like the one big event is they have like a huge picnic where everyone has this giant, picnic the food's provided and there's like a tent but then it's part of it is like a pumpkin carving competition so they give each table a big pumpkin and you have the knives and then like you have all these animators so like some of these pumpkins are come out super super crazy and then that's that's part of it so there's a real like uh fun kind of vibe to the whole thing nice nice yeah i might try and go it's gonna be right up against um, Camp Mograph, so my wife might kill me if I, if I travel out of town the week before Camp Mograph, but we <laughs> might try. It sounds really awesome. Um, outside of that, there were a bunch of people that joined after the call got started, so just to like quickly recap if you missed it, um, next week, I believe... We're going we're gonna to start next week, right, Mark, for going back yeah. to 10? Yeah, so next week we're going to go back to 10 a.m. Um, just because the move to 11 hasn't really worked out as well as we thought. Um, definitely keep sending us topic suggestions, but like today, like this this was awesome that we're kind of just able to hop from topic to topic. We're going to try and keep doing some more general discussions like this, but if there's somebody that you want to have come on, like Noah suggested, um, John... John Dickinson? Yeah, John Dickinson, that I was reading his last name. And um, a couple other people have suggested people recently. And those are totally welcome. But this kind of free range general discussion has been really awesome. I, I love that we're 20 minutes over today. And we haven't done that in a really long time. Um, but if you want to send us anything, info at mondaymeeting.org. Of course, if you want to join in a call every 
Monday, you just go to mondaymeeting.org and there's a link right there to join in. Um, and that's about it for me for catching up on things. Anything from you, Mark, that I'm forgetting? Yeah, same. Just yeah. Uh, again, thank you very much everyone for joining us each week. We're now officially one year in, so quite a few um, meetings have gone down with a lot of good discussion and um, just stuff that I think separates us from a lot of the other kind of MoGraph podcast type, motion graphic podcast, animation podcast, meeting, whatever you want to call them. Um, but we like to keep it fluid. We like to keep a lot of different opinions and interests and everything that kind of folds under that uh, general motion graphics title. So um, really appreciate everyone showing up and being involved. So very excited to keep this going. So, yeah. Um, and also too, if you are a participant or a listener and you have time or you feel like you want to host one of these at some point, let us know. Cause we're, we're definitely open to it. We want to start having more rotations to who's leading these calls and things. So um, reach out either on Slack or through the email address that I said a moment ago too. But yeah, thanks everybody for the past year. And of course this call today, it's been awesome. And um, we'll see you next week at 10 a.m.